Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Heart of Sports with Jason Springer and Jeff Cohen, powered by ELEC 825. We are thrilled to join you on WWDB 860 AM and 97.5 HD2, part of the Beasley Media Group, ready to help you move into the weekend, talking about all the news in the world of sports. Jeff, I thought I was going to open the show talking about the Sixers game last night, and then they didn't show up, but you did, so tell me what happened. Well, first off, before the game started, it was electric. I mean, it, it was like a playoff game. The atmosphere was insane. There was a ton of people there. They had all the celebrities there. They had they even brought out Meek Mill and and Travis Scott was there, but there was no stampede. So that was actually a good sign. Good. Um, <laughs> the game itself was like secondary. And that was kind of the sad part about it is is the Sixers came out flat. You should, Nobody should overreact to the fact that they came out flat. It was just one game. Oh, everybody's but overreacting they, to it. Yeah, but the Sixers couldn't hit the broad side of a barn, and the Nets just did not miss. Not at all. It didn't matter whether they were guarded or wide open because of bad defense. Both happened regularly. The Nets still made their shots. It was a, it was amazing to watch. They just did not miss a basket. Nah, it was. That's not going to happen all the time. Look, it was unbelievable down there, and it was fun. It's not always going to be like that. The Sixers aren't going to play that poorly, and we're not going to overreact like other other places are. Let, let's get to some real issues, Jeff. We've got a conversation here with Jesse Washington that we always enjoy. Let's get right to that. Uh, Jeff, let's get to it. One of our favorites, uh, bringing him on, writer for Anscape, which is, Jesse, not how I've introduced you before. So, Jesse Washington, tell me what's going on with your life right now, man. Yeah, man, we making the big move, uh, formerly known as The Undefeated, and now our new name is Anscape. And the change was made because uh, Disney and ESPN um, are – putting a lot of resources into expanding our platform and our brand. And we did not hold the rights to use the undefeated in certain areas where they feel they can make money. So now we got to Anscape and the mo- the name comes from uh, the fact that uh, it's black and everything. So there you go. New which name, is, which is uh, what sometimes guys- I feel like this whole Anscape thing, uh, you know, when, when somebody texts you from a number that you don't recognize, <laughs> and you're like new name who this new phone who this whatever the kids say so yeah i'm a little bit disoriented with the whole anscape thing but you know what it's still jesse washington's byline so what can i say and 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 hopefully the the paychecks are still coming to the right address that's that's first really the 15th, matter, right? baby <laughs> first and the 15th yes sir and the content is still out of this world in terms of the things you guys are writing about so whatever you call yourself the content is spot on. That's where it's at, right, Jesse? Thank you, man. I appreciate that. Thank you. How fu- how fulfilling is it for you to to be writing for that kind of publication where you're where you're not just dealing with the X's and O's and talking about tomorrow's game, and you're actually talking about issues that are near and dear to your heart with people that are near and dear to your heart. Man, Jeff, I appreciate that question because it feels like the fulfillment of all the hard work that I put in over the years. Uh, you know, I started young in this business, and so I got 30 plus years of a lot of different jobs, all of which I appreciated and learned from. But to be able to use all that to do something that feels meaningful. When they first asked to hire me, I said, you know, this sounds nice and everything, but I don't want to just go and write about sports. And they were like, no, it's about more than sports. It's about all that other good stuff. And so that's why I came over. That's what we're doing. And it is the most rewarding work I've done in my career. Well, I know I enjoy reading it and we enjoy getting to talk to you about it. And, you know, we've had you on a lot to talk about the intersection of race and sports. You know, we like to kind of 
really get into the issues and talk about it. And so we've seen a lot of different headlines lately that we want to kind of recap with you. We wanted to start with Brian Flores. Um, I'm going to start by saying I still don't understand how he's fired. Man won eight games in a row. I get how you started the season, but... I mean, you talk about a leader of men, that's how who he seems like he is. And I don't know if the NFL picked the wrong person to mess with, but you tell me, it looks like Brian Flores has receipts, whether it's copies of NDAs or text messages. Uh, can you explain to me how Brian Flores has the potential to change the way that coaches are hired in the NFL? Oh, man. Yeah, there was a Wu-Tang song called the uh which uh profanely paraphrased you're a wrong person to mess with uh <laughs> uh title right there but that's who brian flores is right now i do think he has the potential to absolutely change the the way business is done in the nfl because he's exposing the hypocrisies and the barriers and the structural racism that remains and like you said he has receipts you know and so um I think that finally, you know, this could all result in black coaches being more than just afterthoughts or having uh, competing on a level playing field for jobs. You know, it's not that these non-black coaches don't deserve the jobs they get. It's just that black coaches with similar qualifications, it's not enough for the black coach. The black coach has to be Superman, whereas a lot of the other coaches hired, as some of my colleagues have demonstrated over at ESPN, it's a, a lot of it is through who your dad is. You know, there's a disproportionate amount of, of NFL head coaches and high ranking coordinators and stuff whose fathers were in the league and who head coached and stuff like that. So the fact that Brian Flores did not sign the non-disclosure agreement, turned down the millions of dollars that he could have collected from the Dolphins in order to do what is right. I think is going to change the league. And then shout to the Pittsburgh Steelers in my adopted hometown for hiring this man, for hiring this man. We all thought that he would never coach again, but he's still in the league. They're going to have to see him on Sunday on the sidelines. I love it. Yeah, but but isn't that part of the problem? It, it, we, ha we have the Steelers and the Rooney family that, that seems to be out being progressive while the rest of the league is a bunch of people that don't understand that. I mean, it's really just one or two owners, and these owners have been around forever, and it doesn't really change. I mean, Mike Tomlin is a Hall of Fame football coach. If he wasn't a Hall of Fame football coach coaching for Rooney, would he have the same opportunities to have survived this long that other coaches who aren't black would have? Yeah, he wouldn't. He wouldn't. Um, you know, the Denver Broncos are up for sale right now, and there is a black person, a black man who is bidding to be the majority owner of that franchise. That could be a huge change. If the allegations in Flores is it lawsuit, you? <laughs> I can't, uh, yeah. doing well is after it, that rebranding over there. Yeah, we, that's right. We, we just got Diddy the exclusive. Going in, me and Diddy. Diddy tried to buy the Carolina Panthers when they, when they took that squad from Jerry Richardson. Um, they might, if, if, uh, if, uh, the Mr. Ross, the owner of the Dolphins, Stephen Ross, uh, if he actually tried to pay Brian Flores to lose, he could lose his franchise for that. I think that that's part of I think the NFL should should make sure that the, that a black investor group or investor singular gets to buy a team. I think that's going to go a long way towards towards proving that they're serious about it. But, you know, I mean, they got to get back into a corner to do the right thing. And yes, Jeff, you're right. It is part of the problem that the Steelers seem to be one of the very few franchises doing the right thing. But 
I am hopeful. I do see change. I'm 52 years old, and I remember rooting for Doug Williams in the Super Bowl because no black quarterback had ever been permitted the opportunity to win a Super Bowl before. So if we could see that happen, now we're at the final frontier of that. So I do think that that you know the group of the 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 NFL as a whole is slowly, reluctantly, but inexorably changing. And that leads to something you wrote a piece a, piece a few months ago, uh, interviewing a lot of the black men's basketball coaches in the NCAA about diversity hiring and retention. When you did that story and talked to those coaches, what were the biggest takeaways that you had from the discussions? And that's a that's a discouraged group, you know, because they just see time and time again getting passed over for jobs that they should be able to compete for. And again, I want to be very clear and I'm trying, you know, uh, this is not a divisive statement. This is not a prejudice statement against all the white coaches out there who get these jobs. I'm not saying and these black coaches are not saying these white guys don't deserve these jobs. But what is very, very clear is that a lot of white coaches get jobs with qualifications that would not even get a black coach an interview. You know, so if you are a coach of any ethnic background and you may, you know, uh, you may not have played in in college basketball or pro ball, you may not have uh, even won a whole lot of games, you know, consistently. But, you know, you, maybe you're a hell of a good coach. And you deserve a shot, depending on these qualities that you have and you bring to the table. A black coach has to be a former pro or have the stamp of approval from some legendary other older coach in order to get his toe in the door. And so we just want that, you know, those black coaches. And this is the the sense that I got talking to them. Just give us a fair shot, man. Just let me get an interview here. Just, you know, consider me the same way you consider these other guys. Take all the nepotism out of it. Take all the family ties. You know, there's a presumption of competence that white men have. It's unconscious. You know, it's part of human nature, but they're presumed to be competent when they walk in the door. And we are not always considered to be that, you know, and so. That was the sense that I got in talking to them. They were cautiously optimistic about this most recent hiring cycle because almost half of the jobs or roughly maybe a little bit more than half of the jobs went to black coaches. But that was a clear reaction to George Floyd, you know. And so when that dust settles down a couple of years from now, will these coaches be given the same amount of time to succeed as their white colleagues? We'll see. That's what the coaches were telling me. So, so how do you how do you solve that problem? I mean, I, I'm a Michigan guy. Um, and, and so obviously, Juwan Howard is my guy. But in the meantime, for the last you know few weeks, we've had Phil Martelli and Phil Martelli has been going out of his way to talk about his assistant coaches, the guys that, that are the X's and O's guys and, and pumping them up. I get the impression that that those assistant coaches may not have otherwise gotten an opportunity in this next coaching cycle without support from from the coaches, the people that are the athletic directors, things like that. That, that that's the way that we need to get around this is to start having people that are in authority, giving those other people the opportunity. Yes. Yeah, so one of the things that all the coaches told me and I agree with is that part of solving this problem is getting more diversity in administrative positions at the AD level, uh, getting more minority led uh, search firms. I was surprised to learn how many coaching searches are conducted, not by the university, but by a firm that they hire. So let's get diversity in, in that area as well. And so, you know, I try to look at it like um, there's this not, oh, you owe us or it's not filling a quota, 
but there's just this huge untapped reservoir of talent. And if you are a university looking for someone to lead your team, make sure that you're not overlooking this talent because your network does not really extend to them. I was also surprised to learn that a lot of coaching hires happen in a week from we got to hire someone to ink on the contract. And when you're under pressure to hire that fast, you go down the traditional path, you go with people you know, you go with the the quote unquote name brands. Um, I had a conversation earlier today with a former player um, who uh, uh, from long ago from a big time university and that big time university has an interim coach. And he was mentioning how all of the names that the university is putting forward uh, and they're in the Big Ten. So uh, all the names that are getting put forward are these same old recycled retread guys, you know. Um, you're overlooking a lot of talent that could elevate you if you don't consider everybody that's out there. So that's what I think is going on. You know, we've we've talked to you in the past about uh, your incredible book that we both enjoyed with John Thompson. One of his former student athletes, Patrick Ewing, is is running a program as a coach at Georgetown. Seems like he's had a lot of a little bit of pressure this year. Uh, I've seen him fire back a little bit. What do you think about what's going on there? And is is he getting the support that he needs to succeed like we talk about these other coaches need at their own universities? Oh, my Lord. Ooh, this is a really painful one for me. And I'm not even really, you know, part of the program like these guys. But, um, you know, I mean, let's keep it real, man. It's a disaster over there right now. Um, probably, you know, they play Seton Hall. Uh, I think tomorrow in the first round of the Big East tournament and barring a uh, a very highly miraculous, unexpected result, Georgetown will go winless in the Big East this season. They haven't won a game since December. So, you know, let's call it what it is, man. We can't sugarcoat it. It's an absolute disaster. A lot of people are calling it the worst season in Georgetown history, although the year before John Thompson was hired, they only won three games. So I'm sticking with that as the worst season. I think you know, I think he is getting I can't imagine that Georgetown would not support him. And I don't know the ins and outs of how that works. But I do know the president of the university, Jack DeJoy. I got to know him on a personal level while doing the book. I can't. He loves Patrick. He loves Patrick. I can't imagine him not supporting him. The athletic director over there, Lee Reed, who is black, can't imagine him not supporting him. You know, they want him to succeed. That would be the best story ever in Georgetown history of Patrick Ewing came back and took them to, you know, back to the tournament, deep tournament runs, final four. That would be tremendous. So I don't think it's the support. I don't know what it is. I don't know why um, the season has gone so poorly other than this. And a lot of people don't like to to, to talk about this, but um, there's other things in the news right now. There's some LSU news in a headline today about the notices of allegations. So LSU's coach, Will Wade, is still coaching five years after being recorded on a federal wiretap talking about paying for recruits. Georgetown does not pay for players. So everyone's talking about why Georgetown can't recruit the DMV, why Georgetown local guys are leaving. Well, one reason is that they can go elsewhere and get the bag. Let's keep it 100. Let's be honest. You know, Georgetown does not pay players to get there. I think it's evident from these notices of allegations. And right now you've got NC State, Arizona, Kansas, Louisville, and LSU all formally under investigation for giving players money. Um, and so if you've got those five under investigation, how many other power fives out there 
are, you know, doing the same thing, but not Georgetown. But, so. it, but it shouldn't that wasn't the point of the NIL rules to kind of level the playing field. Shouldn't Georgetown have enough cachet that if everybody's following the new rules now, granted, the rules haven't exactly been figured out yet. Mm-hmm. But if the rules go the way that we all hope that they're going to go, shouldn't that level the playing field so that you don't have the haves and the have nots based on who's following the rules and who's not? Mm-hmm. Maybe. But the one thing is that Georgetown doesn't have the cachet right now. Georgetown is struggling up from the bottom. And so, you know, uh, they did win the Big East tournament last year and go to the NCAAs. But it's tough to, you know, the exposure on that program is is and, you know, is not at a high level right now. So unless the athlete is bringing their audience with them, the way I understand it, a lot of NIL, if you're not at an Alabama football and football is where most of the NIL is. But if you're not at a big time football school or you're not Zion Williamson, most of your, uh, you know, or a Duke basketball or something, most of the opportunity to earn NIL comes from the own social media following that you bring to the school with you. So a lot of these kids, these high school phenoms in this age that we live in got 100, 200, half a million Instagram followers, and they can monetize that through NIL at their school. So. I don't think that Georgetown is going to be able to really pay these kids, you know, the way with NIL, the way, say, for example, Louisville allegedly and documentedly, is that a word, paid Brian Bowen 100K, you know, I'm sorry, Adidas slash Louisville, you know. So that $100,000 payment isn't really right there. That that $200,000, $150,000 payment that kids, it's, it's on record, it's getting paid to go to some of these schools. Georgetown's not doing that. So that's a competitive disadvantage. Um, so I think Pat's getting the support that he needs, but he's got a, a big, a big hill to climb. He has another year to do it. The university has come out and said that he'll be back next year. So I'm really hoping that he can uh, have a successful season and get a renewal of his contract next year. I wanted to ask you about the flip side. We've asked a lot about the challenges. Part of the reason I like your site is you, you look for the positive in stories, too. Uh, you have a piece by Sean Hurd there about the black women coaches the connection of Dawn Staley um, in 2015, she got a piece of the championship net from Carolyn Peck. Sh- tell us how she decided to pay it forward and and what this is like for these women who there's only 21 percent of the head coaches identify as black in women's basketball. And, and she's out there making sure that those women are all now connected. Yeah, yeah. Another thing that I learned uh, that I was told while doing that story on black coaches in college basketball, I talked to coaches on the women's side and black women said, yeah. So in addition to us, you know, a lot of black men get the jobs that we're after, too. They didn't say it in a bad way or in in a negative way, but just noting that black women are the minority amongst the minority. So uh, shout to my colleague, Sean Hurd, who does as good a job as anybody in the country of covering women's basketball. I mean, he's phenomenal. I love women's basketball. Um, They're amazing athletes. And um, I love reading Sean's coverage. And so he did a piece that that explained how when Carolyn Peck won, won the chip, she gave a piece of the net after they cut it down to other black women coaches. And so when Dawn Staley won it, she sent a piece of the net to every black coach in women's basketball. Every black woman has a piece of that. And it was really moving to hear what that meant to them. And it's also really like the sharing aspect of Dawn Staley and her effort to uplift others just really touched my heart. And then, you know, Sean had another piece recently about how 
unusual it is for all of these coaches. You know, we mentioned earlier in the context of the NFL, but really in any sport, they talk about all the time your coaching tree, you know, who you played for, who you coached under. And that's unusual for black women to play, even play under a black woman coach. So there was this article about that. I'm not embarrassed to say there were some black women coaches names in there that I had not heard before. I know Coach Vivian Stringer. I know who Coach Carolyn Peck is. I had never heard of Marion Washington, who coached for 31 seasons at Kansas, you know. And, and so um, this was some of the amazing ways that that Coach Don Staley is uplifting folks who need support, who don't compete on a level playing field with pieces of her championship net as she was uplifted by Carolyn Peck. You know, you mentioned Vivian Stringer. How important do you think she has been to to female coaching and, and to black women coaching? And Jason, you, Yay, know, you, should smile. you know, Jason doesn't get many shout outs for Rutgers right now. So so I had to bring it up. She is so important to the game, just as Dawn Staley is, you know, somebody is especially who played here in Philadelphia for a while too. But how important are those two women to, to making sure that diversity happens? Man, I mean, Vivian Stringer is an absolute legend and she's still, a, I mean, she's still at the top of her profession. Nobody wants to see Rutgers in the NCAAs. I mean, they are tough. I was rooting for them so hard. Um, and so it's just, it, it's sort of to me like, uh, you know, Coach John Thompson came along on the men's side and, and broke these barriers. And then uh, but as we've discussed a lot on this show and in other places, that next generation of black coaches has had a hard time of really being successful and getting a foothold. You know, um, Kevin Ollie won a national championship and then got, you know, fired for uh Stuff that was a lot more minor than anything that Will Wade has been, you know, been documented as doing. So to see Coach Stringer still coaching and then Dawn Staley doing what she's doing, to me, it's like um, the women's game has surpassed the men's in terms of the success of black coaches and the opportunities afforded to black coaches. And I love to see it. So, you know, uh, Vivian Stringer is not as well known as she should be. But everybody's got to really respect and admire what she's accomplished. I want to close with what must have been a proud dad moment. Uh, I love your Twitter feed. You posted a picture of a hug between you and your son after the game on senior night, I believe. What was that experience like for you to see your son culminate his career? I've been watching you retweet the highlights of him during the games. Uh, What's that like for you? Man, thank you for asking, number one. So um, to all my fellow sports parents out there, the moms and dads who watch our kids play at any level, um, it's tough. It's a really difficult emotional experience, and it's hard for us to do the right thing and behave ourselves. And our emotions are so tied up in it. So I really put a lot of effort into being, um, you know, looking for the positive aspects of sports and not letting the chase for success and attention and highlights and all that kind of stuff detract us from the positive things that sports can bring. It's, you know, sports can teach us so much about ourselves. It can elevate our character. It can create unity and achievement and excellence. And that's the reason why we can pour so much of our of our energy and attention into it. So my son, Coltrane Washington, is a senior at Drexel University, and he has had a um, a a long, hard road to becoming a regular starter. But he started the last, I don't know, 17, 18 games of his senior year and played well and did his thing. Had some ups and downs, good games and bad games. So senior night, they're playing Charleston and Charleston's winning the whole game. Charleston's a tough squad. And then they scrap back and uh, and my son 
uh, gets fouled. They're down three with 14 seconds left. My son gets fouled, one and one, hits both. Drexel down one, commits the foul. They miss the free throw, come down, play to the big fella for the dunk and the win. They win 80 to 79. It was with one second left, that dunk. It was the only lead they had all game. And so I did put out, I did have a big hug with my son after the game because I know what it took for him to get to that point. And it was not everybody, you know, in the youth sports community and a lot of us parents, we set out D1 as this sort of promised land, this nirvana. Oh, I want to go D1. Yeah. What is he D1? Is he not D1? And and the reality of division one sports is different than the than the the perception of it and the idealization of it. And my son has lived that. He had to really find out a lot about himself. He had to overcome a lot of obstacles. He had to make a lot of mistakes. He had to become a better person and a better human being and a better man in order to be in a position to help his team win that game. And so that's really what the hug represented. I wasn't hugging him because he won. I was really proud of him, how his character was able to improve and withstand everything that he had to go through to get to that point. He does have one more season left to play COVID year, baby. So, you know, we'll see how it goes. He hasn't scored his last bucket. Shout to my boy, Coltrane Washington. Yes, sir. So, so you mentioned something that I think is really important is, is that sports isn't necessarily about the D one. It's not, a, it's not about the winning a lot of times and it's not about them becoming pros because most of them don't. It's about growth. And, I mean, how important has it been for you to see the growth in your son over these four years? That's what you hope for, but it's incredibly painful because growth comes from falling down. You know, growth comes from making mistakes. Growth comes from tough situations. If we're never tested, if we never face any obstacles, then we won't, we don't get a chance to elevate ourselves and become better. But those obstacles, man, as a parent, anybody who's a parent or has, you know, loved ones within their family and you watch them go through something, it's one of the toughest things that you can experience. And so um, it was tremendously important for my son to be confronted with his weaknesses, you know, um, and the instinct as a parent is to tr try to jump in and solve the problem for your kid. Another thing, you know, if there's any parents of, of any type of athletes out there, I would really encourage you to leave as much distance between your, your children's coaches and you as possible. It's hard to do. There was a lot of times when I wanted to get at, you know, my children's coaches and, and various teams, but I really resolved to, to, to just stay back and let your child figure out how to get through that situation. And so really, you know, I'm really proud of my son as a basketball player, man. He's tough. Uh, and people like to talk about, you know, me beating Twitter trolls on the Internet. But uh, he's killing his old man all day, every day. But I'm definitely more, much more proud and happy about who he is as a person and how basketball has helped him to, to get to that point. And that's really what sports is all about. That's why we're sitting here talking, because John Thompson was all about that and understanding the real purpose of sports in our lives is not attention or money or fame. And uh, that's why I like you guys show, because you guys really resonate with that. And that's why we do this show. And we love having you on a guest, because we can have these conversations conversations and talk about the lessons that come about off the court just as much as we can the changes that need to be made on the court jesse regardless of what name you brand yourself and whether you figure out who you're working for these days we always appreciate the time with you man we can't thank you enough you take care of yourself and good luck to your son jason thank you jeff thank you love you guys i'll see you soon operating engineers are the men and women that move mountains and the engineers labor employer cooperative elec puts them to work they create opportunities for the men, women, and union signatory contractors of Local 825, repaving our roads, keeping our homes bright and warm.
and even building our favorite team stadium. We understand infrastructure. That's why ELEC and Local 825 are ready to get to work. Jeff, we were hoping for baseball. We brought on a Phillies World Series champion to talk baseball just before there was a settlement. Now we will have baseball. Let's go to our conversation with Greg Dobbs and then talk about what happened. So we we are here with Greg Dobbs. Well, I'd say we are here with Greg Dobbs. Greg is, I believe, on the West Coast, on the sunny side, while we're on the rainy, cold side. So 2008 World Series champion. Does it ever get tired when people say that to you? No, uh, I'm going to be honest. It doesn't. And it still kind of still kind of makes me go, wow, I we really did that, you know, but no, it, it doesn't. No, I, I, I wish I heard it more. I mean, being out here in California, I'm um, I've relegated myself to uh, almost complete and total anonymity. So uh, <laughs> hardly anybody knows out here uh, See, who and, I am. And, and that's the reason, like we were talking before we w- went on air about like what you miss about Philly. What you should be saying about missing Philly is that if you come back here, you don't have to pay for drink. <laughs> And I'd be a raging alcoholic. <laughs> <laughs> well, and my liver, my liver would hate me. Okay, well, dinner then. <laughs> Fine, yes. No, I. But in all honesty, um, joking aside, I we we miss Philly. We miss Philly a lot. We miss the people. We miss the town. We miss the culture. Everything about it. Um, so uh, to all the Philly faithful out there, love you all. Miss you. Hope we'll be back there soon to, to see you guys and, and share a pint together and reminisce about the old days. Well, and, and so let's, you know, the old days are all we kind of have right now to go off of, along with some minor league baseball as as baseball <laughs> figures this out. And so, you know, as a, yep. as a former player, how do you watch a lockout? Are you a fan now? Are you a player? Are you what's the, the Greg Dobbs take of watching a lockout actually occur? Uh, it, You know, Pretty incredible, pretty fairly surreal. Having been through a few CBAs um, myself, uh, having been a, a a team rep with the union, um, and 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 having the great fortune to come up in the era of Donald Fear and then Michael Weiner, um, and then into the the Tony Clark era, really fascinating. And but also as, as you as you become uh, aware and you become sort of an active participant, it, you, you, you begin to quickly understand how complex it, it, it is. And, and listen, I'm not, I'm not saying that, you know, this is, it's as, as complex as, uh, the ceasefire and, and peace treaty that, uh, the U- Ukrainians, uh, are trying to, um, uh, you know, negotiate with Russia. Like that's okay. That's, that's real. This, but nonetheless, it is, um, as a fan, uh, it, 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 it pains me because it's, it's, it's tough. You, you guys want to go to work. Owners, GMs, they, they want, they want their doors open. They want their guys in spring training, right? They don't want to miss games. They don't want to miss revenue. Um, fans, they want, they, some of the most exciting times are going to spring training with whether you're in Florida or Arizona and, and going to, to watch your, your favorite players, your favorite team and the interaction, the intimacy that is spring training, right? The excitement. The fervor that begins to just boil, and then opening day, like I'm literally getting goosebumps. You know, you, you flyovers and the, the ceremony, and just all the anticipation, the build for the hopes of what would what could be an incredible championship season, right? Um, tough, tough from the fan perspective, and my heart goes out to to all to you know the Philly faithful and 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 all the fans out there. Um, tough, tough to tough to watch this happen and go through this, but. From a player's perspective, now if I put my player's hat on, it, it, it always behooves the players 
And it is incumbent upon the current class of which I used to be a part of to honor and respect and and do everything within our ability at the negotiation table against Major League Baseball and, and the owners um, to stand up for what previous generations went through, for, for the previous players, previous collective bargaining agreements, you know, and and to pass that torch forward, right? And 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 for it to be meaningful, and for and for progress to be made, where we just as the owners are trying to do, we're trying to pr- protect the sanctity of of being a a Major League Baseball player, right? Um, and fighting for what we believe in and the rights uh, that we that we hold dear and that we want to pass on to the next generation and, and leave the game from a player's perspective again, leave the game in a better place for that next generation, which I feel and which I know the players feel ultimately leaves the entire game in a better place. And it makes it better for the fans. It makes it better for for everybody. So sorry, uh, short story long. That's my no, take. No, but but see, here's the important part of what you're talking about to me, which is is. You as a player rep, so you got to see the inner workings of how this works and what the goals are. And and you're not just representing the present. You're not representing yourselves. And this is, to me, the push and pull of it is you, you want to make sure that you're getting the most money for the players now. But you're also negotiating not just for the future, but the future that doesn't have representation. Minor league baseball players don't have the protections that you guys have in the major leagues. If things shut down now, supposedly they're still going to go on with minor league baseball if there's no major league baseball, but they don't have those protections. They don't have a union that is standing behind them. So you have to make that decision about not only which one is more important, protecting yourself now and making sure that today's players in the major leagues get whatever it is that they want, but also at the same time decide how much you're going to sacrifice that present for the future for the people that aren't even here now and may never make it. And as a, as a player rep, how do you, how do you handle that balance? Uh, Amen. Um, That was very eloquently stated. Um, You could clip that and license it. If you'd like, you can use it. He's a trademark and copyright attorney. So he will, after we're done with the interview, don't worry, but you could use it. If you want, share it with the league, go for it. I should have said anything. <laughs> um, I should have pumped him up there because uh, now it's gone. Um, no, it, it it is a fine line. Um, it it and it, it heavy lies the crown when you have to sit and ponder and dissect these issues and look at them through a lens of okay, where are we presently? Um, and and are we being, for the lack of a better term, maybe selfish or or will our uh, or, or will our wants and, and our requirements in this negotiation come off as selfish, or are we being as thoughtful as we possibly can for these future generations to come, and 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 doing everything that we can to not only it's 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 it's, it's double barreled, right? It's what can we do now in the immediate future? What is a low hanging fruit right now where we can improve the game holistically, improve it uh, for us as players? And listen, how the owners improve their side a little bit and, and all great negotiations, both sides walk away having conceded something or multiple things. Right. Or else it's just not a great negotiation. That's just negotiating one on one. That said, it's a it's 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 a it's a fine line as to how how much you hunker down for the immediate future and, and what makes sense. What what can we succeed now? And also then also being forward looking, what can we succeed at? to leave the game in a better spot for the next 
two, three, four, five generations of players. It's a, it's a very, it's a, it's a tightrope. It's a tight walk because, you know, owners and Manfred and everybody are going to be sitting across that other side going, yeah, yeah, yeah. Great, great, great. That's, that's fine. But, but we're the owners and it's, you know, the billionaires versus millionaires, right? You've heard, if you've heard it once, you've heard it a thousand times. Um, it's tough. I just, as in the ones that passed, the, the collective bargaining is in the past, and, and, and this one is no different. I just, I'm praying that we don't concede too much uh, because the fear is if you do, that becomes a precedent moving forward, right? And it, and it leaves it, it leaves the next CBA and the next generation of players or those following, it, it leaves that mountain maybe a little bit steeper and, and, and maybe it may be a little bit more unsurmountable, right? Cause now you you feel like you're just a little bit further back behind the eight ball than maybe you could have been. Um, well, yeah. we'll, we'll see where they end up with on the money conversations. That's actually one piece of it, but there's the state of the game, the pace of play side of this. And it seems like we've got some rule changes coming. Uh, Jeff will love when they get rid of the shift. He will be a very happy man. <laughs> Um, we will potentially see a universal DH. Uh, pace of play is clearly an issue. Pitch clock, shorter pitch clocks, 14 seconds, 19 seconds. Um, the one that I don't understand that you can explain to me is how does making the bases larger speed up the pace of the play? Because I actually looked into this, and their explanation is there is a shorter distance to run between the two bases because the bases are larger which I call BS on. But go for it and tell me how these rule changes will impact us all. And how many more stolen bases you would have had with these bases. Yes. Oh, yeah, that's what everybody's <laughs> pining to know, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah Dauber, you were such a burner. Man, you could have been like a 30 You were, 30 you were so close. <laughs> you could have led the league if you just had that little extra spot on the bases. <laughs> what, do you, oh, what do you think, though, sort uh, of said, about – Said no one ever. Um, <laughs> what do you think, though, about all of these changes I, that some fans have clamored for, others have – you know, brooded again. Some people think getting rid of the DH or bringing the DH to the National League is sacrilegious. Seems like they're losing I'm that with fight. You. I, I'm with you. Uh, I okay from experience, having started my career in Seattle in the American League, uh, not being a guy that hit 25 to 35 homers right in the American League, you got to bang. That's that is a banger. And, you, and, you, and if you're a DH, you, you got to you know you got to bang. You got to hit. You got to hit for power. Coming over to the National League, saving grace for my career. I've said it once. I'll say it to the day I die. Um, I, I, I and I just think that I just think the National League the game is just a, a more pure, beautiful chess match where managers, bench coaches, uh, you got to strategize and, and and to make the whole league the American League in essence. I, I probably don't have a career as long as I'd had right. So it's personal. To me, a little bit. I mean, it's not. It's not about me anymore. I mean, I'm an ex-has-been. But I, if I if I'm gonna if I'm gonna look at these changes, specifically this one, through the lens of my own experience, which I just I think that's the best way to look at things. Um, I don't agree with it. I, you know, just like all the pitching changes that were instituted a few years back, right, with relievers and the 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 full inning that has to be thrown, and all of a sudden now the matchups can't really be done. Okay, for the sake of time, uh, you know, because you want to speed the game up. Okay, fine, but that's the beauty of the game, and I think true fans appreciated that beauty. And and I feel like some of it's being stripped away. I, I feel it's just slowly being stripped away for the sake of pace of play. Like really, I, I, 
are people that ADD that and, yeah, and yes. they, they don't yes. they don't have the attention yeah. spans? Yeah. That's yeah. The, that's a problem. We're all even Jason is is getting to the point of being old. Like we're we're getting to the point. <laughs> like so is is baseball going to kowtow to the the generation that it that it has no attention for this that needs something faster that needs home runs that doesn't want the decisions that are being made they don't want to think they want to go and be entertained. But at the end of the day, what always surprises me is this whole pace of play thing only the most you're going to do is shave off 10 minutes unless you shorten the number of innings is does this really change baseball to do all the things that they keep suggesting doing at at the cost of what you're talking about which is what made baseball baseball Uh, no i don't think it does i I think it is so on the margins but 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 i can see why they're doing it i can see why major league baseball and man for the commissioner's office are doing it and pushing these things is um just it's optics so much of this is optics and I get it. They're trying to cater to a new younger generation that all they are, are about is their social media feeds. Their attention spans are about as, you know, as long as that of a gnat. Um, fine. But what I, what I, what I might say and what I would venture to say is that these small, you know, it's almost, it's almost like, like death by a thousand little razor blade cuts, right? It's, it's all these little things, right? And it's, it's, and it's quite subtle. Um, I was listening to a, an incredible uh, professor in Toronto uh, named Jordan Peterson. He's he's all uh, he's on social media. He is an amazing mind, and he was saying something about negotiating, or or, or he was talking about going through um, how to negotiate and how the most successful ones in history have, uh, whether they're dictators or not, they, they 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 go as far as they can. They encroach just as much to make you uncomfortable, and then they back off. But then that becomes the new that becomes the new uh, goal line, right? Or that mm-hmm. becomes, uh, and, and then, and then they back off and then they go quiet. And then, then all of a sudden push it, it starts bubbling. Time. And then they, they go a little bit further the next time. And, and you really don't even notice it because it seems just so fringe and so on the margins, but no, they just push just a little bit more. And then all of a sudden, 10, 15 years down the road, you look back and you're like, Oh my, Oh my God, how do we get here? Cause it was, it was slow. It was small. It was at the time it seems maybe trivial, but it isn't in the long run of things. And so with, with all these initiatives, I understand, I understand the thinking behind them. I, I, but I don't necessarily agree with them. I am a traditionalist. Um, you know, listen, if you, if you don't want to spend three and a half hours at a baseball game, going to a stadium, going to, you know, Sisabay Park and, you know, going out and enjoying some of the food out in the outfield, getting some Bulls barbecue, like, well then, okay, fine. Maybe baseball isn't for you, but I think there still is enough, there, there are enough Americans out there and and internationally as well who are will be more than willing to sit pay their hard-earned money to sit in the stands with their family with their son with their daughter and and carve out the time to enjoy a baseball game and and uh, I, with the bases <laughs> I don't know that literally my mind blew up like I literally was like I saw that on the list and I went I'm sorry what <laughs> I'm so Wait. glad that you had the same reaction as me because I texted Jeff immediately and then I found the picture size and I was like, what? I, 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 I'm still confused. I, I, I'm not the sharpest tool in the shed. I'll be the first to admit, but that confuses me. I, I don't – base is bigger. Okay, which then okay. Well, if they're really bigger. <laughs> well, that's the thing. If you're going with like Krusty the Clown shoes, like, like if it's like huge halfway bases. to second base, that might be better. Yeah. <laughs> I, I just so again, but again, this is this is so on the margins, right? Okay, so we're gonna make what are, are they gonna make them just an inch bigger around in diameter? 
oh, it's not much, but it opens the door to them. You know, you know what? Wow, we think that really worked. Let's go another half inch. So now it's no longer 60, still are 90 feet down the baseline. That ch- that fundamentally changes the game because as we all well know, there are plays that are bang, bang, that are milliseconds. And milliseconds can determine safe or out, a win or a loss. All of a sudden now we're 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 altering that. We're altering kind of the clock and the speed that the game gets played at and that things have to be executed at. Well, I don't know. Well, I'm not so sure about that. So is it as somebody who was a union rep and you're sitting in, was there ever anything that you guys were sitting around and said, you know, there's there's one thing that really could change the game that could improve the game. Is there anything that that is players when you were playing said this is the one thing that could make baseball better. For, you, for, you mean from a maybe from a anything? Because uh, um, I'm not concerned about pace of play because I I don't I actually Jeff like sitting sit outside there. with my kid or my friends and just watching baseball and talking. Yeah, Jeff actually dislikes the people like me who don't have the attention span to sit still. Now I will go and sit and watch a game, but I, it is the person who's like me who flips the channel all the time that it seems like baseball is trying to cater to. Um, and again, like to each their own, right? And then that's, that's why, you know, there's 31 flavors of ice cream. Um, uh, yes. When I was, a lot of the issues that are being discussed now were also issues back then where we're looking to improve the game. For instance, um, you know, pre-arbitration, right. Um, shortening that, that curve for players, with team control arbitration, ultimately getting to free agency, um, you know, the, the, the pre-arb pool, you know, it had been floated around for, for, for a little bit, um, prior to it now truly being on the docket. And, um, I, I think that's, 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 I think it's, it's meaningful, you know, making sure that, uh, minimum salaries, you know, stay with or, or stay, keep close to the, the rate of, of inflation. Right. And um, and the erosion of of the of the power of the U.S. dollar, especially right now. I think that's very it's very um, I think it's, very, it's, it's, it's very important right now, especially as we're in a large inflationary environment. Um, Look at that. His second uh, career is now coming out. It's interesting. Keep me focused. Wait, keep me focused. Um, the, those. Those things were things that we were discussing back then as well, you know, that didn't quite make it to the docket because there were other things um, that were there was lower hanging fruit. Um, yeah, th- that th- those types of issues. I, I have no I, I have like you. I have no problem with pace of play. I just I, I don't. Um, I, I actually I love it. Um, it's it's the game. It's the way the game was meant to be played. And, and um, but, yeah, I, I think. A lot of it has to do with the financials and on the financial side and, and the, and I think the, the business of baseball, right? And, and so those issues then, uh, were important and they are just as important today. And hopefully they, hopefully they can make some, some headway on them. Do you think, do you think that if, if the players got to arbitration sooner, became free agents sooner, do you think that we would have a more competitive balance in the major leagues than we have now? Uh, I do. I think so. Um, again, though, that, that you can't force a team like Kansas city. You can't force a team like Miami, uh, to, or uh, to, to, to have, you know, to pay more than 50 some odd million dollars in payroll. You, you, you know what I mean? Like, so, so, but that said, maybe it does incentivize. And let's just take Miami, for instance, you look at a team like my, 
you know, Jeter walking away. He wanted to be competitive. Ownership was like, yeah, no, we, we don't really think we can. We're trying to really lean this thing out. Does, does the ability for players to get to free agency sooner? And we're not, I'm not talking about the top two. I'm not talking about the Bryce Harpers. Okay. I'm not talking about the Giancarlo Stanton's, the Mike Judges, the Mike Trout's. No, 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 no. They're the outliers. They're the unicorns, right? They're going to command 300, 400, $500 million in, in the near future. I'm talking about maybe the guys like me. It was like Greg Dobbs, who right, becomes a, a free agent, who is that 20, 20th to 25th guy. Um, maybe having someone like me going to free agency sooner at a younger age, where age isn't such uh, a detriment, as we all, you know, as baseball and every professional sport knows, right? The older a player gets, the less they're, the, 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 the further they are from their prime and their, their really good, healthy, productive years. Maybe that does actually incentivize a lower market, lower spending team to say, hmm, okay, well, maybe we don't have such a problem with looking at the available pool of talent. Maybe we don't have so much of a problem of paying X for a player who is closer to their prime than closer to the, the start of diminishing returns. Maybe. All right. We, we got a minute left on the live part of the show, and then we'll keep it going after this on the stream so you can talk more. But we got to ask you about some of your former teammates who had some Hall of Fame considerations. I'm not going to ask you whether they're Hall of Famers because you're the former player. As Jeff said, if you don't say that they are, they're probably going to call you. Uh, <laughs> yeah, he, he was he was asking me before. The, he's like, should we get his comments on, on Ryan and Chase and Jimmy? And I'm like, what do you think he's going to say? They shouldn't be in the Hall of Fame? And this is why I have a co-host, so I don't ask questions like that. But, of course, I bring it on the air anyway. Tell us your now, best. If, if you're willing to say that, feel free. But <laughs> I was trying to save you. In a minute, tell us the best Hall of Fame story on their skills as a teammate. Not if they're a Hall of Famer. Uh, good, or, their, good or funny on their skills um, yeah, for each of the three of them. Well, well, okay. I'll start with Jimmy. Uh, besides Jeter in his prime, um, I don't think I ever saw or and played beside and watched a better shortstop. Um, his 2007 season was just ridiculous. Um, such a talent, multi-tooled. You know, just the little guy. You know, I called him little fella. You know, we could walk away. What's up, little fella? You know, he'd go, How'd that go over? Uh, perfectly fine. It was, it's like, <laughs> I, I still, we play golf and I'm like, what's up, little fella? And he's like, Jason, you hear that? Hi, there's hope for me. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, it, it, um, what an incredible, incredibly gifted and bright athlete and shortstop. I, I uh, so yes. Um, Chase, <laughs> I, what more can you say? I mean, if if the numbers aside, the work ethic, the determination, the focus, um, the uh, the teammate, uh, the the sort of silent clubhouse leader, you know, a lot of these are intangibles, right? That aren't just that aren't going to make their way, you know, and be part of the you know the, the discussion on the ballot. But um, I, I've never seen a guy work harder and set the bar so high for himself and for his teammates. Um, which is a very, very, very large reason as to why we were successful all those years. Um, and Howie, I mean, if, if God bless, if Howie could have stayed healthy, you know, the Achilles, I, I see it right now. Like, and I went through an Achilles injury. I, I tore my Achilles in, in uh, 2003 coming up through Seattle in double A. Uh, so I know firsthand, um, just prodigious, 
literally, it was prodigious. His power, his ability to go to all fields. Um, and on crunch time, man, he just seemed to come freaking through, whether it was a double in the gap or working a walk. Hey, people don't remember. He, he had a very good eye. Mm-hmm. He did. It, it, like all of us, he got into trying to expand the zone and do too much because he knew how much power he had. Everybody did. Right. Um, but when he was locked, his, his strike zone awareness was second to none. Um, what was it? So as, as a fan, as somebody that was at all those games, I never saw anybody get up to go to the concessions when Ryan Howard was listed as one of the top three hitters coming up in the next inning. What was it like as, as a, as a teammate, did everybody just kind of stop that like during those, those five, six years where he was hitting 50, 60 home runs, what what was it like? Oh no, it, 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 you're absolutely right. Like Jason Worth and I, uh, and Jeff Jenkins, we would like, Boys, let's hold on. Let's just sit down here. Let's just let's take this in. Something <laughs> special is probably going to happen. Okay, we're not going to go back in the clubhouse and go stretch or you know go get a diet coke or whatever, get a bag of seeds. No, let's let's watch this. This could get this could get good. He had that effect. He literally had that effect, and you could see it on the other side. You could see the opponents. All of a sudden, Howie comes up, runners on, runners not on. Didn't really matter. And all of a sudden, the other side, of the bench, a couple more guys are sitting on that top step pitchers going oh man how's how's he going to get him out is he's probably going to hit a mammoth homer right now i want to watch it i don't want to miss it it was palpable absolutely as much as it was for the fans it was equal for us it was amazing to watch my add flipping of channels always made sure i was back when ryan howard was up we're going to leave the live show conversation there and Thank you so much for coming on, Greg. Uh, The insight on the labor issue, as we hope they resolve it, and then on your teammates is always fascinating. Uh, Thanks so much for your time, man. I'd love being with you guys. You You have me back whenever you want. It's an absolute pleasure. Thank you, guys. We definitely will. How much fun is it to get to talk to Greg Dobbs, especially now that we know that we're going to see the product on the field, Jeff? Greg is so much fun to talk to him. I, I don't think people realize like how much knowledge he has. Like I didn't even know that like Greg was a rep. I mean, it was the perfect guest to have in the middle of or and now the end of the labor discussion. Absolutely. And and for our listeners, we'll put it out on our social accounts. Uh, the extended discussion is fantastic. We almost make him cry over Dan Baker. We hear more about what the reaction was like when Ryan Howard came up to hit home runs. Jeff, that was so much fun. I can't wait for our listeners to hear that, too. He was a fan in the dugout. He was. Like, like, I mean, one of the things that I thought was great was like when we were talking about like our reactions to when Ryan Howard came to the plate, that we would stop whatever we were doing is that people don't realize because there's not much camera in the dugout activity which I think is a missed opportunity as far as I'm concerned. Like like p- baseball has missed lots of opportunities. But when, when Greg's describing like they're all sitting in the dugout, when Ryan hit, Howard hits one of those moonshots, they're all like jumping up and down and holding each other back. And it reminded me of the NCAA tournament when like somebody makes a crazy dunk and the entire bench goes crazy. It goes back to what we talk about, though, the missed opportunities to promote the personalities of the game. Like so much fun stuff happens in the dugout with these guys. The stories that these players tell us of what happens in the bullpen, what happens in the dugout, the stuff that you don't get to see that they could just throw a camera in there, not live and be able to show it afterwards. I mean, I'm excited. Baseball's coming back. It doesn't seem like they did too much lasting damage 
in terms of how long they were out because they'll still play a full season. What are your thoughts on how it ended? It was close, and they knew it. Yes. They they know that, that people were ready to say, I'm not coming back. And if they missed games, we weren't coming back. I told you, I was on the verge of saying, as much as I love baseball, I'm, I was asking for my money back. I was not about to go into May waiting for pitchers and catchers to report. But, you know, think about it. I still want to go back to 2008 because we haven't had playoffs since much after that. Do you realize the personalities on that team? Like, like that team, if it had been marketed the way like you would want to market something. Oh, my God. Think about, think about the, the range of personalities on that team. And I'll just start, I'll start with word from from Greg himself to Brett Myers, to Ryan Howard, to Jimmy Rollins. I mean, you could just go through that team. Now, Chase wasn't the most personality-driven person, but there were so many people on that team that that should have been marketed in a different way that would have made that team even more legendary than it was. I completely agree with you. And look, I'm just glad that we're going to have baseball back. We're out of time here, and we'll talk more about it next week. But I can't wait to go to the ballpark and, and hear the ball and the bat and everything that goes along with it i know you're okay so it. but but you have to answer my question of of so when is pitchers and catchers report when do we get to celebrate that or are they just going to show up now spring training starts sunday that's it thanks so much for joining us this week make sure to join us next friday to help you start your weekend in style have a great one we'll talk to you next week Bye bye